0: And you can't, imma- you can't even begin to imagine what it's like to get the N-word for your inbox, for your mail, like, just thrown at you. Because there, there is no equivalent word that would upset you just as much as that one. Like, you can't even begin to imagine that.
1: It gets better because it has to get better. Hello, my name is Sophie Hagen. I am a stand-up comedian from Denmark and you're listening to my podcast, The Made of Human Podcast, or in short, Mopad. It's a podcast in which I speak to nice people about life. I try to find out how to do life, um, you know, how to be an adult, how to function in this world. And if the person I speak to has no idea, which, spoiler alert, <laughs> no one does, uh, it ends up just being a chat in which we feel less alone. And I know that sounds like, I'm an absolute prick but that is generally just what it is so this week I'm speaking to Imriel Morgan ooh in real Morgan. <laughs> Sorry, I just got really excited. And I'll let you listen to our chat in just a bit. First, I want to say I'm on tour with my brand new stand-up comedy show, Dead Baby Frog. On this tour, I will be in Newport, Leicester, Aberystwyth, Bristol, Manchester, Oxford, Brumsgrove, Stockton, Cambridge, Colchester, New Milton, Reading, Hull, Northampton, and Canterbury. I will be in London at the Soho Theatre from the 11th to the 21st of December. Most of them are already sold out, um, including the... Um, the, the ones on my tour, so go and find out if you can still get tickets. Um I will also be in Denmark, in Copenhagen, Aarhus, Aalborg, Esbjerg and Odense, where the shows will all be in English. My entire tour is anxiety-safe, has gender-neutral gender neutral toilets and a wheelchair access all around. There's also a trigger warning for the show, which is that the show is about emotional abuse. I also mention physical abuse, so so you know that. Go to sofahagen.com for more information about all of these things and uh, to get tickets. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, please. Or buy my show from last year. It's called Shimmer Shatter. It's about being anxious to not like people, to hide in uh, bathroom toilets, all of that stuff. And um, it's just £5. You can uh, buy it and download it on sofahagen.com forward slash shop. Oh, it's filmed at the Phoenix Artists Club in front of an audience, which is made entirely out of Made of Human podcast listeners, which is... Oh, my favorite. It's so great. So, before I let you listen to the episode, we shall do this week's Acts of Disobedience, where listeners send in stories from their lives in which they have been, um, they've stuck to the man. I think it's the 80s way of saying it. They have uh, disobeyed. And this week's listener is called Loni, and this is what they wrote. I took a class in the spring that was all about preparing for disasters, providing first aid, doing light search and rescue, basic keep-yourself-and-your-family-safe stuff. The class was majority female, and many of the students were nurses, doctors, or some other profession that was already about looking out for other people. There was a man in the class that made a couple of comments over the six weeks that were openly misogynistic, but but he would then laugh it off, as if that's not something he thinks at all as if he was playing the persona of a complete ass and we were all in on the joke. On one of the last days, while we were being taught by a woman who had been a firefighter for over 20 years, we were learning how to lift an injured person with an improvised stretcher. The instructor was pointing out that everyone lifting the stretcher has to lift at the same time, and so someone leads by counting to three. It doesn't matter who does the count, it is usually the person stabilizing the head, But for the safety of the victim, there has to be a leader doing the count, the instructor said. The guy in the class then say, Well, we do know that it should be a man doing the count, though, right? And then he laughed, and he waited for us to laugh. There was no laughter. Just the collective groan of a room full of adult women who have dealt with this crap their whole life, and a female firefighter at the head of the class who has probably heard that every single working day from somebody. She started to say, okay, moving on, when she paused, I turned to him and loudly but calmly said, don't worry, when you are laying there injured and bleeding on the ground, all of us here will just wait until a man comes along and tells us what to do. And then there was laughter. I love that so much. Oh, I love that so much. Oh, please keep these stories coming. It makes my entire day. It makes me so happy. Oh, (laughs) submit more uh, acts of disobedience please go to made of human podcast where you can also buy a moped t-shirt we have just gotten new designs for the t-shirts there's a a pretty 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 logo um which is made by a listener called cara and it's so pretty it's so so pretty um it's uh, colorful and everything and it's uh, one of the uh, sophie hagen and susan kalman in a caravan things and it is so pretty so um, go and buy a t-shirt because if I see you on my tour wearing a t-shirt with my face on it, I will explode. Just saying. So if you want to explode me, that's what you need to do. I want to say thank you to everyone who donates regularly to the podcast. That's our act of disobedience, I feel. Because there's no middleman. I, I keep saying this, but this is so good. Like, I, I spent, you know, whatever, time and money on making this. Um, you get a say. You have a say in who I book. You have a say in... How this works and, and then you pay for it. Like it's, it's, ugh, I, I love this so much. It's, and you don't have to, by the way. That's the whole beauty of it. You do it because you want to and because you want to support it. Cause it is free for those of you who, who, who have no money. And I totally understand that. So. I love that. I love it. it's so beautiful and thank you thank you thank you thank you for supporting either the people who give like one-off donations uh which you can do on uh, madeofhumanpodcast.com, or the one who has signed up for Patreon. Now Patreon you can give a certain amount per episode and uh, it deducts automatically from your card uh once a month and it's brilliant and it it's easy to f- it's easy it's trustworthy it's everything. And if you give more than $5 p- uh, per episode I give you a shout out at the end of the episode. So um, uh, it means I'll butcher your name completely. But uh, yeah, so patreon.com forward slash if you want to do that. But now, please enjoy this episode with the incredible Imreal Morgan. For the people who might not know who you are, can you just quickly say
0: a bit about yourself? That's such a loaded question. Um, So I'm Imrielle Morgan. Uh, Some people know me as Imri, so I'm a podcaster. Um, I'm the CEO of the Shoutout Network, uh, which is a podcast network for people from underrepresented backgrounds. Um, By day, I'm a marketing coordinator, and by night, I'm like a podcast extraordinaire, I guess. Um, (laughs) Perfect. But yeah, that's kind of a rundown of who I am.
1: Yeah, that's quite, that's quite essential. Like that's, so you, what, what were the thoughts behind starting The Shadow Network? Um, so it was actually my
0: now fiance, FA, who really wanted to start a podcast network for people from disadvantaged backgrounds. So he grew up in foster care and, um, kind of had run-ins with like the law and just he just, he just came from like a really working class disadvantaged and impoverished background and he really wanted to kind of create a platform and a space for people like him to come and air their views and voices um, so I I came on board and I was like yeah that sounds cool and then I kind of just broadened it out to do you know to be more kind of inclusive or underrepresented groups you could be quite privileged and black and that's a story that we don't really hear too much of and you could be quite poor and black or you could be LGBTQ and you can come from a spectrum of different backgrounds within that so I kind of just broadened it out and just kind of said let's kind of bring on who we can bring on and see what happens. We had a very terrible vetting process back then. It was like, do you want a podcast? Yes. Okay, you have one. Um, <laughs> we don't have that process anymore because that was not clever or smart for us. Um, so now we're kind of figuring out how we kind of make it a business that's sustainable um, and so that we can continue to give the opportunities to, to the, the people that really need to have their voices and views. And what
1: did you have? Did you have anything to do with podcasting before you started that?
0: No, I didn't know what a podcast was really? I had no idea I found out about podcasting in I want to say late 2014 early 2015 um, and that was with Serial because I think of that's course. like everyone's yeah. first <laughs> podcast and um, So yeah, I was like massive serial fan and I tried to find different podcasts that were like serial. And of course there's nothing like serial. Yeah. Um, That's why serial was serial. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I went on to like the true crime category, so criminal um, and a few others. And then I kind of stumbled into the African American podcast, which was The Read, which is I think the biggest black podcast in the world. Um, And it was, it just blew me away. And I was like, I feel like I need to find like the UK version of this and there wasn't any so I was like well maybe I should just start that <laughs> and so that's kind of like and, and at that time FA was building out his network he'd bought all this equipment that I didn't fully understand um and yeah so it kind of just organically kind of I kind of entered it through him but also I had my own journey into podcasting by my own and I think I needed that because i'm really independent and stubborn so i'll be like no that's a terrible idea and then i'll find it somewhere else and be like oh my god this is the best thing ever and i own that now <laughs> so your podcast is called uh Melan and millennials but that's now come to an end <gasps> well i've come to an end with it um is I that breaking told- news kind of because we haven't i think we're making the announcement this week or oh. i'm making the announcement this week um so yeah like for maybe about a year and a bit now i haven't been feeling what MM's about. I think it's a really great platform. I think it's been incredibly important for the listeners, and it was so necessary. We won two awards, which is incredible. Um, but I think it would be disingenuous of me to continue when I know that like my heart actually hasn't been in it for a while, um, and there the kind of was a shift in the personal relationship between me and my co-hosts. And for me, I was just like, I, I can't keep doing this. I'm not enjoying it. It's not fun for me. Um, so I think. She's probably going to continue the podcast, and I'm kind of going off to something more in line with what I want to do, which is a new podcast similar to you, in that I get to speak to really cool, interesting people about kind of the issues that they care about. Um, but it's called "Want to Be," and it's like taking you from where you are to where you want to be in thirty minutes or less. Ooh. So um, hopefully, I can launch that in the next couple of weeks, which is also an exclusive because no one knows that yet. Um, and I'm really excited about it because my fir- one of my first guests is going to be um, this African Amer- half African-American, half East Indian um, girl who won Miss India America, and she's the first person to have won uh, Miss India America who is half African-American. Oh, wow. Um, so she's coming to the UK to win an award, um, and she's going to be one of my first guests. So I'm really excited to speak to her. That's and amazing. India LaRosha. Wow. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's going to be really cool, and I'm yeah. hoping to kind of get some of my, like, friends to kind of come and speak about one issue that they really, really care about and focus in on that. And then afterwards, it will be split into kind of a more role models and who you wanted to be before you became who you are and what your barriers to success and that kind of thing. So I'm
1: excited. Have you always been? So, so I feel like we have quite a lot in common. And so yeah. what, everything you just said, would you have you always been someone who was very, Observing or aware of other people or someone who is very interested in talking to other people, like have you has that kind of had to do with putting yourself? because in order to do this we, we kind of have to put ourselves a tiny bit in the background. Mm-hmm. Has that always kind of been who you?
0: yeah <laughs> so that is such a good question because I actually studied anthropology the study of humans um hate humans <laughs> Soz. I know this is like the whole did you know that podcast. before you? yeah um I, I was like oh I'm gonna have to study all these people um but part of that anthropology was monkeys and that's where I, my background is I actually did behavioral science with animals and I was just really intrigued about behavior and I'm actually more of an observer and like to kind of sit back and just kind of see how people react and how they play around with things that I kind of just introduce I'm really (laughs) I'm actually like a mad scientist in that way um so yeah i actually prefer especially when we've had guests on Millennium Millennials and we've had some really great guests um I find it more interesting to let them speak and how they kind of deal with the subject at hand because we usually pick it in advance um and I think that that's a way more interesting conversation to me personally and maybe it'll be interesting to other people to see how people that you kind of know and admire handle those situations I don't feel like my voice is the most important voice it's just meant to guide and facilitate that conversation as much as possible Um, so yeah I think it's definitely part of my anthropology background and me just being naturally shy as an individual uh, and taking more of an interest in people that want to be kind of in the spotlight in that way.
1: So why if you hate people which I mean (laughs) I relate a lot to that so why did you choose why anthropology then is it like a the not liking people did you kind of sense that maybe there was something to like? You just needed
0: to get to it? I think anthropology partly made me dislike people. Um, so I actually entered, Ampro- I was meant to do medicine. And then I was like, wait, don't like people that much. And I don't like sick people. Um, <laughs> so these are like my two least favorite things combined into one career tra- tra- trajectory. Um, so I scrapped medicine. And then I read a book uh, called The Bone Woman by Clea Coff. And she was a forensic anthropologist um, who was sent out on missions by the UN to kind of look at mass grave sites and excavation sites. And she was fascinating. I was like, that's what I want to do: bones, dead people. <laughs> my favorite, favorite kind of just, people. Yeah, that's my favorite ones. kind of dead. Yeah. So. <laughs> So um, I was like, I want to do forensic anthropology. So my interest wasn't actually in like living everyday people. Um, It was all in the kind of history and how people came to exist and what their story was before they died. Um, And yes, I read that and went into anthropology and anthropology was like, this is not what we do here. (laughs) We actually look at the living and how the societies are formed and structured, which was really interesting but a lot of it was required, like a lot of what was required was people studies and I was like, can I just go to either bones or monkeys, please? Anything that kind of is not the people part because people are really infallible and I think just the way I am I'm actually kind of really impatient um and have a low tolerance for like mistakes in my everyday life and I was like I can't deal with the how unpredictable people are um so it just didn't like it just was like chalk and cheese it just wasn't going to work for me um so yeah anthropology helped me realize that but I'm still completely and utterly fascinated by behavior and just kind of looking how people react in certain situations
1: have you always has that always been the case or was there like a time when humanity let you down.
0: <laughs> when has humanity not let us down? Yeah, Donald Trump is president right now. <laughs> so shy So no, I don't think there was any like specific point in time that I feel particularly let down by people, but no, I, don't, I, can't, I can't think of a specific moment. I just think just a combination of just what's happening in the world. And part of the reason I don't want to have kids, for example, is because I think the world's a really shitty place. Can I swear on this? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay great. Yeah, Please. Please <laughs> yeah I think the world's a shitty place um, to bring a child up. No judgment to anyone that does do that. But I just don't feel like I want to add a human to this world to kind of live in what we live in. And the things that I've experienced in my life are just... I wouldn't want to put another human through that. So it is quite... like I do have a kind of very pessimistic worldview in that sense.
1: I remember being um, me and my friend were we were in Egypt and we were staying with a family and one night the teenage boys in this family they wanted to play uh spin the bottle Oh, and we were like oh there we go <laughs> oh god oh it's going to be you know they're going to test their boundaries it's going to be flirty and stuff we were like fine we'll take it and they and they spun the bottle and then I picked truth or something yeah. oh, I don't I don't know which kind of game it was but I don't know, I had to uh, tell the answer truthfully and then this kid just looked at me and went, why do you always just observe? And I was like, holy shit. This is <laughs> How so existential. I, I thought it was going to be like first kiss or something like that. And yeah. it was just something so deep that I was like, oh, God. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, was, I just learned a fact about myself.
0: Why do you always observe? <laughs> like How do you answer full,
1: that? <laughs> full, like a 15-year-old. <laughs> holy shit. I think that's when I, because that's, that's, I think that's the, not contradiction, but the, not irony but so when when we say we don't like people yeah like you're a person yeah <laughs> like you're one of them i am a human yes do you feel like one of them um oh, one of us
0: i say them as well i do uh this is so deep um <laughs> yeah of course i think i don't feel like an alien just kind of like oh i'm above or below anyone it's definitely more like i can recognize my own infallible nature and Infallible? Fallible? Whatever. No. Um, the one that doesn't mean that I fail too, I, I fail to, as well. Um, and how imperfect I am. And I think it's just because I'm a perfectionist that I'm just kind of like, oh, people, yuck. Um, but I do feel like a completely part of like the fabric of society and how I know that my actions do kind of result in consequences for other people. And so I'm not oblivious to it. I just, personally, I just kind of, my brain doesn't like want to deal with everyday life and people and how that kind of affects my world
1: so how do you how is your everyday life
0: now like have you figured a way of being able to not deal i'm such an introvert um i'm like an introverted extrovert or the other way around yeah um so funnily enough i get on well with people i'm very sociable people tend to like me but i like like you i i tend to stand back and observe and just kind of just see what's going on before i kind of fully immerse and so now at work, I'm like if I feel very comfortable, I can kind of get along with people. Um, but I tend to kind of just keep myself to myself. I kind of like being at home. I really like Netflixing by myself. That's I don't like Netflixing with company. It's not fun. Um, I kind of just, and now I'm I work part time now, so I kind of actually. Stay kind of separate on the days that I'm not working um, and kind of just work by myself in a little bubble. Um, So I've kind of isolated in a way, but I feel like it's kind of healthy and helps me recharge and think about things kind of more... Holistically, um, compared to when I'm like working every day nine to five and then there's always someone around and someone to answer to. Um, so now I kind of realize like there's a certain kind of job that I can go into because I can't be everywhere. I, I can probably do the job, but I'm not going to enjoy it if I have to be like constantly bombarded with people. Um, and I think that's just kind of working for me right now. I don't know how healthy it is, but we'll see. (laughs) How,
1: how do you feel about authority?
0: Mmm, such a good question. I hate it so much. <laughs> I I have such a problem with authority. I'm like so stubborn and just like I just like to push the boundaries. I've always been the person that would like pinch. Like when we were kids, I'd be the one that pinched you just like that one time too many, just to see how far I can just like push you, um and what point you're gonna just be like, no, f you. I hate you. <laughs> like. I am that person, like, I don't like listening to people, I can be very stubborn, give me like 10 minutes after you've told me what to do and then I'll be completely compliant but ultimately I just hate it, I don't like it, it makes me feel so uncomfortable, like who are you and why are you telling me this? I don't, I don't understand why I should respect you, I don't know why you're telling me this. Um yeah I have, a, I have some massive issues with authority I hope this doesn't affect my future job prospects I mean I'm, I'm
1: at the you know when you listen to a podcast and you feel like you're in the room and you want to shout out stuff to the people you're listening to mm-hmm. I feel like that at the moment but it is my podcast I feel like going I know I agree with everything you're saying we're the same person oh my god why do you think why do you think where did that come from because I'm, I'm very curious about my own complete lack of respect for authority
0: um oh let me just go rewind back I think I'm not sure so I come from like a semi-broken home and by somebody was just broken um so my dad pretty much left us when we were really young and he was like my person like I love my dad's death he was the only person that could get me to do anything so when he kind of went for a period of time he came back but um whilst he was kind of absent and my mum took over, I just kind of had like a complete lack of respect for her and her authority. Um, Now that's slightly changed, but that's really recent. Um, And I think it's just because if I can't respect my own, like mum in some ways, where, why would I respect anybody else? Like that's my mum, she gave birth to me and I'm still really disrespectful. Um, And I think it just came from like the people around me, like kind of just seeing how they operated and moved through life and kind of in many ways weren't being successful, weren't kind of achieving what I deem to be successful or, you know, real life achievements. So I had like a real like lack of understanding about where they were in life and how that translated to authority and success. And I put those two things quite high up on my list of things that I respect as a human. So how so?
1: Like what kind of things?
0: um, So I kind of have a lot of respect for people that have actually achieved great things in life. However, part of why I'm doing this podcast is because I want to question what I believe is success and what what achievement actually means. So like I said, um, things like... Monetary and financial success is kind of high up on the list. Um, Career success. So you don't have to actually earn a lot of money, but you could be well respected in your field. And one of the things I aspire for in my life is to be quite successful at the chosen career I'm in. So I want to be famous for like marketing really well or famous for podcasting really well. Um, I don't really care about being famous for famous sake. Um, So those are the kinds of things that I kind of respect in other people that they do really well. They're working really hard. And I think a lot of when I was younger, the people around me kind of didn't necessarily do that. Um, and I kind of felt like I was always at a disadvantage because I didn't have those kind of figures or role models in my life, um, which sounds really bad and really, like, horrible about my family, which is not the case. I love them to death, and I think they're great people, and they've instilled a lot of other things in me, but the things that I've now come to recognise and respect, they just didn't have that, and they <laughs> to a degree they still don't. Um, And so I kind of just didn't, I didn't take anyone seriously. And those were like the adults in my life. I'm like, why would I listen to you? You haven't achieved like much of anything. Um, And then going to the other side and seeing who I did respect and who I did kind of look up to. um, And that was kind of like, they're quite different person profiles, you know.
1: Who were the people you looked up to?
0: so I had a lot of pop star like crushes, so like the Spice Girls were like super successful, so I kind of tried to emulate that. Um How did you try to how did you try to emulate Me and my the Spice sister girl? used to me and my sisters, I have two younger twin sisters. Um we used to just form a girl band and like write our own songs, perform them. I was in talent shows, and I was literally on this path, like I want to be a successful pop star. Um, and I was like feeling like I was doing all the things that would lead me there except that I wasn't that great a singer after a certain point (laughs) I could sing for a while I just my voice broke like a boy's and it just didn't work the same Um, and then I started looking at people like Gary Vaynerchuk when I started entering like marketing um, and looking at like how do I kind of emulate that how do I become like really successful um, in the in the fields of marketing how do I emulate these people's success and most of it is just down to pure laziness to be honest like I could not be bothered like it's a lot of work um, and then I had to find my own kind of path and now I'm kind of still figuring that out and now I know kind of my route to success so right now I'm studying for an MBA which is intense and I only started a week ago and I'm like accounts are really hard accounting is hard um, but I think ultimately it, it's, just, it's just that I had so many people that were in positions of authority that I just, Kind of at the time, I guess when I was young, I didn't realize I didn't respect them. But now I can look back at it and be like, "Mm, I didn't really respect you, what you did. Well, Uh, when you look
1: back at it, is that something where you want to, would that be something you wanted to change? Because now when I realize that I'm disrespectful to authority, I'm like, yeah, but not that many of them deserve the respect. Yeah maybe we're just right
0: yeah I think we're right (laughs) I'm good with just coming to the the fact that I'm right (laughs) because I think um it is like at that age old saying like respect is earned not just given um and I don't think a lot of people like some people do get there by hard work um and they have like really good ethic work ethic and they, they they earn that right just by the virtue of who they are and then there's some people that just kind of they earned it because they're older than you or they earned it because they make slightly more money than you but they Mm. didn't necessarily deserve it it's just Mm. that they just happened to be in a slightly better station than me and so I don't know why I would respect you for that I think Um, I've literally
1: said that exact sentence to a teacher when I was nine
0: yeah
1: (laughs) I think I've actually said what why like why are you deciding this it's just a job it's just a paycheck
0: (laughs) wow I was actually a really good kid I was like the most (laughs) I was like teacher's pet for some reason I really respected teachers because I wanted to become a teacher for a while oh yeah so I think I always kind of was like no I will respect this person um because you're teaching me knowledge and I need that to get further
1: oh that's because so- I only respected the ones in the classes where I was good so like language <laughs> classes like Danish and English and stuff I really like those teachers but maths mm. I tried to poke a hole in the logic I kept going like no but that doesn't make sense why, why should I learn this It's the way you're teaching that's wrong. I would really, like, math teachers hated me.
0: I hated maths, but my teacher was really scary. So if I tried, she would just be, like, the most vicious human. So I I was just going to leave that alone.
1: So you hated maths, but you're you're now in accounting
0: no so part of the MBA course the first module is accounting and oh, like right. finance which is I'm so bad at math like it's not even math it's just like really weird logic that doesn't work in a real world sense accounting is a weird weird thing and I can't wait to leave that module alone I just want to move on to like organizational behavior and the marketing stuff so I know why I'm kind of doing it um and the only reason I kind of applied and and got in and did it was just because I feel like I've got to a point in my career where I've kind of always just like fell into things and then realized I quite liked it and did really well Um, and then I was like my experience can only take me so far there's got to be additional knowledge and there's a reason why people take these courses and people do these things because there's knowledge there that is really invaluable and actually just by doing it for the past two weeks now I've learned so much and I was like oh so this is how you like structure a balance sheet at a business because I was just putting money all over the place and it was not going well so it is kind of giving me some of that discipline that I feel like I lacked, and so I have to kind of respect what education can do for me I've, I've got a lot of respect for education and the educational institutions that, that we hold dear in this world
1: <laughs> you, said you, did, you said part of the reason why you didn't want a child was because you said you've had some experiences in your life that you didn't want children to to
0: experience
1: mm-hmm. what kind of things is that
0: ah oh, so much the world is just so terrible Isn't um it? it's so I grew up and we were like poor like really poor there were times that we didn't have food on the table and obviously I might get to a point in my life where that's I might be comfortable and that might not be the situation for a child that I bring into this world um but it wasn't fun um it's it's one of those things where when you come from such like really disadvantaged backgrounds, you kind of realize like, Oh no, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want a child to grow up like that because I grew up like that. And I know how difficult that was. Obviously I'm doing great now. Um, and it, it worked out, but it's just, you remember those things. And like, um going to university. I was the first one out of my whole family um, to go to university and not having someone who knew what that was like. was so difficult. Um, you can't find anyone to relate to. And I think just those small things, they really add up to who I've become today. Um, I'm getting really emotional about it just because it was, it was so hard. And I I just don't, I can't imagine putting a child through that. I really can't.
1: Being the first. Being
0: the first to do something. And yeah, that kid might not be the first to do it, but there's probably going to be other challenges. And If I can't relate to that, how do I help them? And there's just so much to think about. And I'm just way too selfish to actually think, yeah, okay, we might be really poor or I might lose all my money. And how would I raise a child in that situation? What would be the circumstances um, that I'd be bringing this child into? And, you know, Donald Trump's president now and hearing like really horrible things. I'm still a black woman. So my child is still, whether I end up i'm i'm engaged to a black man so my child's going to be a little black child in this world and what is that going to be like for them because it hasn't been all the way fun for me um so kind of dealing with that and wanting and thinking about how they will navigate this world how they'll navi- navigate navigate the space and then social media is an added thing and my sister my younger sister is 17 and like social media is her world and i'm like yeah i don't i don't want a child like attached to like instagram because they need to look a certain way or feeling like they need to do their eyebrows every single day because it would be god forbid the worst thing in the world if someone sees you without your eyebrows drawn on like that's such a weird concept for me and i just don't want to bring a child into that i don't like it's never been something that i've wanted um that having said that i would adopt um i would foster children i think there are enough kids in this world that don't have um and if I do have the means to do to do something, I would like to help someone else's child kind of get through. But me and my own, nah, nah. All, cool. of the, all
1: of all of those like fears about what the child might experience with the world. How much of that is
0: things you're sort of still experiencing yourself? Um, almost all of it. I think. I think it, any situation that I've gone through, I think it's a very real possibility that it would happen. To any child of mine, um, or it might be slightly better, but then it's there's new challenges. Like, I mean, I was my my a very close family friend member of mine got really really sick um, and had to be put into hospital, and. I look at that situation, I'm already kind of prone to depression and anxiety. I take medication, I've gone to the CBTs, and it's still something that kind of reoccurs in my life from time to time. And having been for, been a person that had to kind of do something so extreme multiple times to that family member, I think about what if that was me? What if that was my child? And that was hell on earth. I wouldn't want to do that to mm. the child. I would not. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's rough because I think... I'm probably overly paranoid about bad things happening because there could be equally or just as many good things that could happen. But the bad things are really bad and they're really a natural deterrent for me. And I have friends who have kids um, in difficult circumstances and sometimes better ones. And I'm like, your your kids are a lot of work and I just don't want to. (laughs)
1: That was my main thing from from when I realized I didn't want kids. Yeah. Realizing that they're there all the time. Yeah, because when I saw it in anywhere. my head, it was like a montage. Like, oh, there's me walking them, there's me feeding them, <laughs> there's me. but then you see see them, and they're just there. Yeah, 24 hours. A day and when they're
0: small they really are very dependent. They're um, so
1: dependent. No. That's one thing I'll say about babies is
0: that they are so dependent. Yeah. When that when I was studying monkeys, the baby monkeys come out and they basically can walk. <laughs> like it's great. Like why can't we just have kids that just pop out and just like function? Um not to monkeys. They sound great. They're really vicious when they get older, so Ugh. no. Well um, humans. Yeah but humans are, <laughs> Did you, can you train learn anything them.
1: from studying monkeys about human behaviour?
0: Um so much. We're remarkably similar um, and it wasn't I wasn't studying apes which are even more similar to humans because okay. humans are apes and yeah um, oh, I didn't know mon- I thought monkey basically mon- mon- monkeys have tails apes do not that's like the simplest way to <gasps> think that so chimpanzees and gorillas are apes as are humans um, you're
1: really going down to like you're really explaining
0: like the basics <laughs> yeah and then monkeys all have tails um, oh, Okay, so I studied monkeys and what I learned is that they're very, prote- very protective of their infants. So I studied mostly mothers and babies um, in relation to fetal alcohol syndrome. (laughs) I did not give the monkeys the alcohol, but they did have alcohol whilst they were pregnant and it changed how they raised their kids. Um, And so you kind of, what I really loved about monkeys is that they forced their child into independence a lot sooner. Um, They would kind of like get rid of them, like they would try and push them off of them really quickly. They're very protective, but they still kind of let that that monkey, that baby like know that it has to kind of function independent of its mother because God forbid anything happens. It needs to be able to fend for itself. It needs to be able to feed itself. It needs to know how to do these things. Luckily, their babies come out semi-functioning and not as dependent. They just need milk. Um, so I learned like, we are remarkably similar in how we're, how productive we are of our offspring and how, like, hierarchies are formed in social groups and social settings and the kind of competition for men, which I, I don't compete for men as a woman. I just don't get it because men are trash. <laughs> so... <laughs> tried to avoid saying it but oh gosh but yeah, you can. yeah you can I can't avoid it. it um so like just competing like some of the my female monkeys just didn't compete they just did not care about men they lived in a, matri- a semi-matriarchal society in that like the women really ruled the roost there'd be one male in my in my colony and they would just mostly be ignored like they were respected and they would be the father of all the children but for the most part the women were just doing their own thing and I love that um and I've always been like surrounded by like women and like the power of like female energy and spirit so I was like yeah monkeys are cool monkeys like get things on a much like simpler level it's not complicated they just exist and they eat and they look after their kids and they go about their days and it's very simple humans just add layers of complexity to that um, but ultimately the fundamentals are the same we're very protective um, we t- tend to kind of congregate within our sex groups um, so yeah there was a lot I learned. It was a two-year study, and it was pretty intense um, to study, like, 60 animals that have slight alcohol problems. <laughs> a could lot of drunk monkeys.
1: You, could you help? Like, I wouldn't be able to do that without projecting so much onto that uh anthropomorphizing that's the technical term Anthropomorphizing. anthropomorphizing anthropomorphizing
0: yes um it basically means to project human feelings onto an animal ah yes so um yeah i felt like i i was really i got i got over it really quickly just because you just can't like they don't they don't have the cognitive capacity to do that like you can tell when they're expressing like Feelings of happiness, but you wouldn't call it happiness. It would be very much linked to a behavior. So, when I was observing, I would have strictly a list of behaviors. And I could probably infer a lot of things within those behaviors, like, oh, they're grooming each other. That means they like each other. They are friends. But that's me anthropomorphizing. The fact is, they're just grooming each other, and that just might be it. Um, But it is hard because I grew, I, I studied over 60 for a two year period or 18 months. And so you kind of do get attached. You do kind of realize that some of them like each other more than others. And you kind of see these complex interpersonal relationships. It's just that there's no definitive way to say it's one thing or another thing. So that was really tough. But I did grow really attached to some of them and be like, oh, she's happy to see me because she's letting me pet her. Out of the 60 monkeys I had, only one let me pet them. And that's because she was neuropath- neuropathologically impaired to wow. be to be exact she had uh, alcohol problems and so she was like the runt of the litter. she was kind of socially ostracized so she would like be closer to humans um usually if they're really friendly with humans there's something wrong with them that was the key to deciding if something was wrong
1: did w- when you do these when you observe and i mean both like when you did the, with the monkeys and when you do it with your podcasting and in all of your work mm-hmm. is it to find a solution because we're talking about how like the world is, is really shitty yeah and how a lot of things are shit i'm kind of hoping you were like and then we realize that the answer There's is a happy
0: ending at the end of this story i think now that i've with my new podcast and where i'm going now that it is very much about action and focusing on a solution i think for me it's all well and good complaining and i think that's part of why i had to step away from the old podcast because i felt like we're discussing the issue but we're not if we did get to the action or a solution, it kind of gets lost in the discussion. Um, and I'd rather focus on like so what what can I do? what small thing if it's if it's a small thing or what big thing can I do to actually move forward? Um, and with the monkeys it was very much, okay, so they're neuropathologically impaired. There's nothing I can do about how their brain works. Um, And that was very much like, your job is to observe. There was no real solution to that other than don't give them alcohol. Um, (laughs) That was not my job. So... Um, there was that side of the monkeys of feeling like okay I can't do much about that situation I can only just see what the long term effects are and hope that this is a cautionary tale for how humans behave especially pregnant mothers don't drink because this are, these are the consequences um, so that's what that study did but with the podcast I think now because I'm restructuring and kind of relaunching somewhat differently I will be kind of looking at an issue that someone takes, for example, I really love Nimco Ali. She's amazing. Um, And like FGM is her thing. Like what what is the main issue that's happening right now? Um, Okay, so we kind of talk about that and really kind of get a a good understanding of what that issue is. But now what can I do? What can my listeners do? Um, Is it reading an article? Is it signing a petition? Is it donating to a campaign? Like what can we do to physically make a change in that? So that's kind of the focal point of what I'm trying to do now. Because I think, it's the same thing how I've lived my life what am I doing wrong and how do I fix this okay you don't know this knowledge do study study something do something um, and maybe that won't work and maybe it will but you won't know until you physically make that change or make an act do an action that that could change your circumstance so it has kind of led me to this very nice point where I feel most comfortable with where I am in my journey
1: so, there's a question I always ask, or well, I've started asking recently.
0: I've heard a lot about this. <laughs> have you? I have. <laughs>
1: it's, a, it's a new one, a fairly new one. Um, so, it's about the revolution? Mm-hmm. You've heard it? Okay, I, yeah. that, then I don't have to explain it too much, because I've, I've been made aware that it's a tiny bit problematic, because there are... <laughs> Persistent <laughs> movements out there, which I am aware of, but it's because in my head I imagined Les Misérables and the French Revolution. Nice, so that's, right? <laughs> that's really depressing. <laughs> it? oh, but it's just, uh, it's just a really good musical. So in my head, it's like, and I with most of my guests, I already kind of know the answer, and I feel like I kind of do with you as well. But that would be less presumptuous of me. But basically, there's a war, there's a revolution, there's uh, stuff happening, there's a right wing. Dictator killing people. <laughs> oh, you can possibly imagine that. And you could basically choose between joining the right wing movement, staying neutral, or joining the resistance movement, which has really good infrastructure.
0: Ooh. Good infrastructure is a key point. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like you might like that. Um I've always thought that I'd be on the right side of history, not the alt <laughs> yeah, right side. That would that would take a turn if that's what you meant. I'm like, I think I'd probably join the resistance because it has good infrastructure. Otherwise, I probably would have stayed neutral. (laughs) That's why I said it's a good point. Um, Yeah, I'd definitely join the resistance. I think I'm the kind of person that will wait until the molotovs are being thrown. Like, it's already gone to shit. So now's my time to join and be a badass. Um, Otherwise, I would probably just be like, I'm just going to lay in my bed and stay out of this until everyone knows what they're doing. And then... When they, there's a plan, I will join the yeah, plan. Yeah, tell me what sense. I need to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't
1: be the person starting the revolution. Oh
0: no, um, that's too much responsibility. And I look at a lot of great leaders in history. I like Black History Month is coming up, and I'm super excited because one of my um, favorite like uh, history moments for Black History's particular particularly is um, the Haitian Revolution. Um, uh, Jean, Jacques. Toussaint Louverture, who basically started the Haitian Revolution, and Haiti, which isn't widely known, is like the first Caribbean country to free itself from slavery. Um, and they massacred, <laughs> like they really massacred all of the people on that island, um, mostly the white people. Um, but they don't talk about that a lot in history. And basically, French, the French um, made them pay a lot in um, reparations. To, to France. They had to pay for their own independence. It was ridiculous. And I think like, that only recently just stopped.
1: They had to pay for them having basically self, self-defense. self
0: Yeah. They, they freed themselves. And then France was like, oh, because we've lost so much money from you freeing yourself. Oh my you God. have to pay us like, a ton of money. And that's part of why Haiti is so poor to this day. Um, so it was one of my favorite things where the person that started that, Toussaint Louis Vuitton, um, and some other guy that I can't remember the name of right now... Um, I was like, that takes so much guts, like, so much guts to start a revolution. And you're putting your name, your face, everything on the line. I would love to be that famous and that brave, but I'm not. Like, I know who I am. I'm a coward in so many respects. I can't do it, but I have tremendous respect for the people that do. So, yeah, there's a little moment from history.
1: Wow, (laughs) I had no idea. No, definitely check
0: it out. The Haitian Revolution is fascinating.
1: Oh, but that's armies are one of the things that are being silence yeah. because why would we want to hear about
0: a bunch that? of a bunch of white people being massacred that's a really yeah. good history <laughs> yeah it, it's one of my favorite moments not because of the death side but just because it's so fascinating um and it is such a good moment and a cautionary tale for all people that try to enslave folk um they could come and kill you
1: but that's probably why <laughs> they don't want us to know that because yeah yeah it's like telling you that, oh, this is an option? <laughs> yeah,
0: we, basically. Oh, we can do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. I think a lot of people live in fear that there's going to be this kind of overturning of power. And that, like, all the people that have been oppressed are going to rise up and then do it right back. Um, and that's why a lot of systems of oppression still exist today. Because the they try, the fear of what could happen. And I don't think, like, most people aren't that, reta- like, they don't retaliate in that way. It kind of just makes you just as bad as the other person. So... But this, yeah. the, people don't respect things unless there's violence. It's weird. It's such a weird space. So, with,
1: I, so within the resistance movement, would you be the accountant? <laughs> would you be the... Would oh no, you I'm be terrible a, at accounting.
0: Doing, <laughs> I don't know why I'm <laughs> clutching
1: on the accounting thing. Would you be... What would your role be within the resistance movement?
0: I think I'd like to be someone in strategy, like a Tyrion Lannister, you know? Just kind of... I'm just there. I know how we can strategize to get to where we need to go. Um... But I'm all good on the fighting part. Just like keep yeah. me in an advisory, hand capacity, second in command. Yeah. We're all good. Just don't send me to the fights because yeah. I'm probably going to be useless because I can't fight.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I can see you being like the, the part of the brain behind the yeah. organization. And we'll send the more <laughs> yeah. The
0: brawn. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> send the energetic boys out to do the yeah. <laughs> do all I'm all good sitting in an ivory tower <laughs> watching the fights happen.
1: Wow, that thing about Haiti is really interesting. Does that... Hearing something about that, having lived the life you're living or living the life you're living, mm-hmm. how does that feel? Because I know from my like extremely boring, white, suburban kind of childhood... I mean, I grew up poor, but that has nothing to do with race. But I remember hearing about Rosa Parks when I was... must have been like five or six or something. Wow. And it was like... Like my... I, I was... It, it just it was the best thing I'd ever heard yeah it made me so happy that like uh, like um someone fighting injustice in that way was yeah. such a like I remember this also because it was an easy story to understand yeah, as a yeah. child <laughs> like, absolutely I don't think I understood the broader picture but but also I came I come very much from the outside and that was very much in Denmark and that was I was very very white where we had, had no idea but for you to hear a story like that does that how does that feel um
0: so I think I learnt about Red Parks probably around the same age as you funnily enough so and that wasn't from school or anything my mum and my dad are like super into black history um and they always gave us kind of the history we were never going to learn in school or we weren't going to learn it in the way that is relevant or applicable to us um so for me it wasn't I didn't I don't think Rosa Parks was the first story I kind of knew about slavery um first and that was really hard to hear because it was just like wait so we come from slaves like people this is what happened to someone that was like my great 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 granddad would have been a slave and he couldn't he didn't have rights like what does that mean and I remember just being like so hurt as a child like hurt. I can still remember, like, I can, I never remember what people say to me, but I can remember the exact feeling I felt. And I just remember feeling so sad and devastated and feeling like people have to know about this. Um, and I remember being in year four, so I think I would have been like seven or eight years old. And we had a history project where we had to write a book about a moment in history that was really interesting. And I wrote my book about slavery. And um, it was like a mashup between. What Happened in Slavery and like Roots, the, the, the TV show about um slaves in America. And I wrote like, this is my great, great granddad. And he had his foot chopped off. And then I drew a picture of a man with his foot chopped off and like what, told this story about slavery. I got like a really great grade. My teacher was like, oh, this is so sad. But like she really liked it. And my mom was so proud. Like she kept that book. I still think it's in our house. And it was just like people need to know that this happened why don't people know that this happened how do i how do we not met, let this happen again and ultimately how that's kind of traveled through my life is that there still it still feels like people don't fully understand like how bad that is how hard it is for a child who kind of identifies um, looks in the mirror and sees people that were kind of enslaved and oppressed in such horrific, horrific circumstances. How much that can hurt your self-esteem and, help self-esteem and how much it can really damage your kind of personal identity in this world. And I'm living in England and knowing that racism still exists. Um, I haven't had like really awful experiences except for that Nigel Farage situation. But for the most part, how, how does that shape my worldview and how does that shape other little black girls' worldviews? So... It was tough and I feel like there's still so much to be told there's still so much to learn and a part of that when I was nine or ten um my mom took us out of primary school here and moved us over to the Caribbean um because she was like you're internalizing some really dodgy images and dodgy role models I don't she I remember just thinking like she she just wasn't comfortable with the people we were looking up to and took us out moved us to the Caribbean for a year and we went to school there and that was like the best experience of my life because for the first time there were black teachers there were black government officials there were black business people there were just it was just black everything and it was like there is a world in which we can be whatever we want And I don't have to limit myself to Scary Spice from the Spice Girls (laughs) or just, like, these figures in entertainment and sport because I was quite athletic as well. So I'm like, oh, there is a world outside of, like, entertainment. I can be this. I can be... I could be Prime Minister of a country if I really wanted to. It just depends on the country. Um, So it, it, it did kind of shape that, and I think it's always kind of been a part of who I, who I've become and how I, I think it's important for every person to know that there's not limits on who you are. It's just where you're, where you are at and physical location matters. Go to where you've come from and see people in the positions of power because it, it is uplifting. Um, having a lot of black teachers was just like, wow, you're so smart and you're black and you're a teacher and I can be a teacher now. And so it, it did, it, it helped. Um, and I was only 10 when that happened. Um, so it does, it kind of reconfigured how I viewed the slavery thing and knowing that after all of that, like even though my great, 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 great grandfather would have been a slave um, in this island. Now these people, this is everyone's great, 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 great somebody's are this person in this country. So it helps. It definitely helped.
1: When did you, when you went back, was that a, like, like when you came back to the UK, was that like a, like how did that, Kind of contrast with what you just realized was a like, yeah,
0: coming back to the UK was weird because I actually went to um, like an inner city school, it doesn't exist anymore, it's been turned into an academy, thanks, Michael Gove. Um, it was weird because I came back with this like weird Caribbean accent, and it was a majority uh, people of color school, so there's mostly black and Asian, um, and that so it kind of felt like I was stepping into this weird weird universe of it like being slightly the same but really really different because everyone was like British or black British or British born Um, but the teachers were all white so it kind of like Flipped it again. It was a weird place to kind of enter into from coming back and everyone's like super smart values education to a place which is an inner city school in London where people didn't really value education. They didn't really respect the teachers. Um, the teachers didn't have a lot of respect for the kids because they were difficult. There was it was overcrowded. So it was a weird space to kind of enter back into. But I think the core values that were instilled in me never went anywhere. So I still valued education. I still valued um, these exams. And I still had a lot of respect for my teachers. Um, but yeah. It was it was a weird one because it was such a bad school and I think I managed to come out of that bad situation with really good grades and like managed to kind of maneuver. So I've always been very careful about where I where I choose to go to school next. So I went to a Catholic convent school after that. Which was majority white because I felt like actually I do want to become a teacher or a prime minister or ex. or at the time, I think I just wanted to be a doctor. Um, I was like, if I want to be a doctor, I saw black doctors. I, my doctor in St. Kitts was black. So how do I do that? And what, what places in life are going to get me there faster? Because I know it's possible for me to do that. So I did actually start choosing, probably by choice, yeah, I started choosing like really white institutions um, and really white schools because the achievements were higher. Um, and that 's not to say that like that schools can't do that it 's just that from my observation of being in London and in the schools, the schools that did really well just happened to be majority white um I think that's changing slightly now, um but at the time that's that was my reality so and then I went to Durham, which was yeah <laughs> Durham was a yeah it was a weird place, yeah, yeah it's really posh it's really white it 's really like public school um yeah. I feel like that was not a bet, the good choice for me. I, I recognise it's done a lot for me. Um, it opens a lot of doors just by the virtue of the name. So I'll give it that. But yay, I, I wouldn't recommend... My sister's applying for uni and I wouldn't recommend Durham to her as a young black girl. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't.
1: I <laughs> um, feel that's good. I, I know I know so little about the British education system. So the, <gasps> the word Durham has no connotation. Oh, so
0: it's called... Um, it's nicknamed like the Oxbridge Reject School. So if you don't oh. get into Oxford or Cambridge... You would go to Bristol or Durham typically, and sometimes Warwick. I think falls into that pile. It's like the third oldest, third oldest institution in the country after like St Andrews, um, but in England, um, yeah. It's just that it's that. It's got it's a collegiate system. It's so public school. It's like so white. So pr- it just seeps privilege it like is disgusting um you would have people call you like peasant and what if you get a bus it's like oh you pover and like it was just peasant yeah it was a weird weird oh weird God. place like the casual racism just just like it just falls out of people's mouths so comfortably and it's like you can't really say anything because there's like not enough of you there mm. to identify what's going on and then you don't want to club together because then it feels like you're a it's a black thing and this is just, it's like yeah. it was like psychological like warfare like I just it was such oh. a weird place I would not I mean I, I appreciate it I got through it and I did great but I wouldn't recommend that place I <laughs> hope like Durham doesn't come off to me for like slander um, uh, and defamation no
1: I feel like that's very much personal experience yeah definitely that's just what happened I remember doing a gig because I, 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 again, like I have almost no connotations when it comes to the school system and what, I didn't know what Cambridge meant and what Oxford meant. And yeah, what. So I did that must a gig be at, nice. Yeah, <laughs> <coughs> and then I did a gig at Cambridge and there were like three, four hundred people, everyone very white. Yeah, More, a lot of these were, I think that most of them were men as well. And I was just doing my gig. And at one point, I just said, huh, this is very white, isn't it? <laughs> it was just like, a, like, and people just got visibly upset. Like, yeah. <laughs> like,
0: oh, pe- God. And I was just like,
1: oh, wow. I didn't know this was such a, like, this, it feels like you've been told this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, you've, and, and now you're upset yeah <laughs> and i said and i was saying to one of the students after the gig i said oh i mean you're just very privileged and he started going oh, oh, oh. well actually actually anyone could go to this school regardless of how rich they are oh. because this is all actually it costs exactly the same as all the other schools and i was like yeah but it's like not if it's not
0: quite the same though, it's is not it?
1: the same and if you have a lot of money you also probably have more time to study because yeah. maybe your, your mother could sit with you for three hours and study Absolutely. instead of working three jobs like like i could technically get into all the universities but i couldn't because i struggled with all sorts of stuff so and they were just they they were so angry they were so angry
0: privilege is so blinding (laughs) so blinding it really is I, i get really frustrated around that just because people just refuse to listen um and I remember being at a wedding in the Alps like a couple of weeks ago.
1: In the, what, yeah, I know. In I the Alps. Yeah, in oh, the wow. French Alps.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was living a very privileged life for that, for that four day period where this guy just refused to understand. Like, he was really um, derogatory about um, Diane Abbott and um, where she got to. And they're like, people just vote for Diane Abbott because she's black. And I was like, mm, mm, I'm sure there are some people that vote for Diane Abbott because she's black because that probably. D- that's That's probably a valid reason for some people. That's probably enough. But I was like, she won by the biggest margin she's ever won by in the late the last election. And the demographics of her borough have changed quite dramatically because gentrification is a thing. So I'm just like, I don't think that a lot of those people did vote for her just because she's black. I think she's actually very good at her job and he was like, she's shit at her job, she's rubbish. Like he was so negative. And this was a straight white guy <laughs> who is a banker. Um oh <laughs> so privileged. Went to private school no uh, I think his claim to him was that he didn't go to private school, but he still went to a really good university. And I was just like, oh, you're just kind of missing the point that Diane Abbott's probably gone through a lot worse situations. Boris Johnson, Johnson fudges his numbers all the time. Um, he's such an idiot in so many ways, but he does not get the level of vitriol that Diane Abbott gets. And you can't, imma- you can't even begin to imagine what it's like to get the N-word for your inbox, for your mail, like just thrown at you because there was there is no equivalent word that would upset you just as much as that one like you can't even begin to imagine that so for you to be like she's just incompetent well she might be incompetent but let's not forget that she had all of these things stacked against her and for her to still be here in this job and being and being voted in by a people by a group of people that want her there that is damn near impossible like you would not be able to do that so let's put some respect on Miss Diane Abbott's name please um, so yeah I think the, the conversation about privilege I just I just don't engage anymore I'm just like okay you just you're not going to get yeah. it.
1: <laughs> Cause it also, it's also, it's such a weird sentence to hear because it's never because we're all we've all been raised in this patriarchal sexist racist transphobic homophobic Absolutely. Da, 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 da. so if anything She's popular despite, despite, that. despite all the things she, all the boxes she takes, which makes people upset. Like, I sometimes get, you know, oh, you're just, uh, you're just a feminist to get attention, or you're just saying feminist things to get attention, yeah. or you're just saying fat positive things to get attention. But- yeah, but do you not understand that 99% of that attention is really negative? Yeah,
0: like, exactly. Not, this isn't fun. <laughs> like, this is not a fun thing for me to do. Yeah, it's really hard to just come out and go against what is the norm. Yeah. So yeah, people, it's a great way to look at it, actually. It's like 99% of the stuff I get is like absolutely negative. The world yeah. does not want to see me thrive or exist. So the fact that I can still stand here and proudly say I am this, that took a lot. Like, it's, it's not easy to just do that. I know so many like black women who just won't like they just keep to themselves like they're too scared to say something um and just deal with so much just because of fear because yeah. the world doesn't want to see that so yeah people are ugh, this oh. is, And back to circle back <laughs> people are crappy people just crap <laughs> so i imagine you know what the last
1: question will be but i'll just still say it you go for it so uh <laughs> little Imriel Morgan has just been born you're in the delivery room and you're holding teeny tiny you teeny tiny baby You. I'm holding my own
0: self you're holding your
1: own self (laughs) and you are crying like the little baby you is crying and crying because it's scary as fuck there's lights and sounds and it's that wasn't there in the womb and now it's all very clear and it's all very horrible and you get to say something you can't change the future at all right nothing you'll say will change anything But you can say something to this little scared, teeny tiny baby, because you know what the next couple of decades are going to be like for the baby. Yeah. So you can say something that might calm it down if that's what you want to do. You could say basically anything you want to say to little tiny baby you. What would you say?
0: I knew this question was coming, and I did ask people for really funny answers, but I don't. I was just like, that's such a weird question, because why would I hold myself? Um, I don't know. I think maybe I would just say, don't be scared it's not as bad as you think which kind of contradicts everything i said about having my own child (laughs) but don't be scared um because being being scared of doing something is not a good enough reason anymore you can't let fear be the thing that holds you back so don't be scared it's gonna be fine you're gonna live and you're gonna overcome everything that has happened will happen and is going to happen you will always survive you are very resilient and you will be fine do you
1: still need to be told that?
0: Yes. <laughs> I tell myself that a little bit every day in, like, my weird affirmations with myself. Um, I think I'm more resilient than I've ever given myself credit for. Um, and that's some, that's still hard for me to process. Like, a lot of bad things have happened and I'm still here, still breathing. Um, and I know how to kind of deal with it a little bit better each time, so... I still tell myself that and I would tell my little baby self that I'm probably not going to listen to (laughs) it. I wouldn't listen to it, but a little bit starts listening piece piece by piece. It's just getting a little bit stronger. That voice of like, you're going to be fine. You'll be fine. Just keep going. Just keep (laughs) trucking. So, yeah, that's what I'd say.
1: Where can people find you and hear your work and your podcasts?
0: So, um, I need to like update and switch over some rss feeds so but the podcast will be called um wannabe podcast so that will be at wannabe pod um on twitter when it when hopefully when this comes out it will be available um i am at Immi morgan that's imi and morgan uh, on instagram and twitter and yeah i think that's pretty much everything um of course that will be on the shout network so the shout network .co.uk is where you can find all of our new and latest shows. We've just changed programming, so we've got some new stuff coming out, which we're really excited about. One is about LGBTQ experiences. So that's gonna be fun because I've heard the snippets and the promo, and I'm very excited. Very excited about that. So that's called the Gag Reflex, and they're at Gag Reflex Pod, so you can follow them today.
1: That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sophie. It's so
0: fun. Yay. <laughs>
1: so much for listening uh i love doing this podcast i love that you're listening and thank you so much to imriel morgan please tweet her and tell her that she was amazing on the podcast and that you really enjoyed her keep spreading uh the news about the podcast tell people that you're listening share it on social media give it a five star review on itunes all of this is like free it'll take a few seconds but it helps more than you can possibly imagine and most importantly it makes me so so happy and um go to patreon.com and become a patron and give whatever you can afford per episode But if you give uh, $5 or more per episode, you get a special thank you at the end of the episode, which is now. It just means I'm going to butcher your names. So I want to say a massive thank you to these legends. I want to thank Kathy Draxelbauer, Robert Knowles, Eve Ringwith, Victoria Greer, Marnie Biles, Phil Vapolis, Rachel Furley, Zoe Cumberland, Marbles Lost, Joe C, Rachel Craftman, George Pearson, Elizabeth Staplemore, Vivian Riddick. Kirsten Davidson, Purdy Pat- Patterson, Steph Ream, Murray Fraser, Ruth Harvey, Jane Young, Bethany Dalstrom, Katie Hatfield, Robin Cabot, James Fru, Karen Thretheway, Russell Hughes, Ida Söger-Larsen, Lucy, Inger Ellingson, Cable Melkwa, Dr. Boda-Sagel Returns, Jessica Stuhlfire, Emma Chan, Sylvia Novak, Kathy Beaveridge, Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo Nascimento, Claire, Danny Beckett, Fiona Richardson, Claire Lamb, Grace Susa, Cat Pillar, Harold Van Dyke, Eleanor, Sarah Ferrera, Ikesith, and Daniel Raffishade. Thank you so much to you people. I love you so much. I love all the listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to Sarah Garvey for producing this episode, to Bailey Leonard for writing and recording this the jingle, to Linda Brinkhouse for the logo, and to the Phoenix Artists Club and Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes there. I will uh, speak to you next Wednesday. I've been uh, Wednesday? <laughs> Wednesday. I will speak to you next Wednesday. I've been Sophie Hagen. Thank you so much.